So, I gotta tell you, I'm having, I have, I got the best job. I get to come here, teach here on a regular basis. When I'm not here, a lot of times I'm down. We started a church down in South County, Mariner's Ranch Church. Group of people that are excited to reach that new community as it goes in. Last week, Tim Timmons was there. He led worship and he spoke. It was really fun. So if you're down in South County, uh, in that area, you want to join those people that are trying to make church. Or if you know some people down there, send them that way. It's online, just Mariner's Church Ranch Church. If you would, pull out your outline. We've got a lot of fun today. So Lori and I decided that we had to clean up our garage, tidy up, if you've read that book or seen that show. And so, you know, first thing you do is you take everything and you put it in the center of the garage and then you pick it up. And if it sparks joy, you keep it. If it's not, off to the resource center it goes. So we're doing this. And so as I'm moving around, I'm picking up some boxes and the boxes are heavier than I remember them when I put them there. And I'm moving around and I, and I, you know, I go to reach into something, I hit my head, which is so irritating because you're just going, oh, I hate that. And so then I'm moving around, I've got boxes going around and I end up hitting my shin on this really sharp thing, which was so painful. It just made me want to swear. And so, so you're moving around and then I'm reaching into things and at my age, your skin gets thicker. So you're whacking something, I'm bloody up my knuckles. And I'm just moving around, you know, trying to get things done. And, you know, I, I hit my head about two more times, which just drives me. And the last time I hit my head, and I'm sorry that you see this, but this is just true. I grab my head and I'm like, oh, and I go, damn, damn, damn. I mean, just scream at the top of my lungs. And I turn and walking in front of my garage is my neighbor. And she just, <laughs> who I've invited to church has never come. And so I'm just like, can see, and that's why I'm Pastor Emeritus, because Eric would never swear, but you know, he catch me at the wrong time, so I'm there. So Lori looks at me with appropriate disgust, and she says, you need to do something about that anger. And I look at her, and I go, I'm not angry, because I know what anger is, and I used to be angry. In fact, when we first got married, you know, I, I had, I, I just, I thought anger was my friend. It was the emotion I knew, so... I was angry and Lori early in our marriage went, no, no, you just need to take that outside or take that away or go somewhere, but that anger, no, go get fixed. And so I went to a counselor because I grew up and, you know, basically with counseling helps you be self-aware. And I found out, you know, my dad was angry and so he modeled it in my life and it's what was modeled by, to him. But at the same time, not only that, uh, you know, it, I had... There in my family that I grew up, there was criticism, you know, which, you know, that frustrates you. You try your best. It was constructive criticism, but it's always, you know, you could, you could do this better, do this faster. And you, so you feel like you're failing and failure was a bad thing. Failure wasn't in my home, the road to success. It was the road to destruction. And so you can't ever fail. So that created a certain amount of angst. And so, and then mostly, you know, anger kind of worked for me because what I do is when I got angry, it was a way to power up. And if I needed to get something done, anger chases people away. And I like that because it's like, get out of my way. I want to get things done. Get out of here. Go, oh, I know. Power up and move at it. And I thought it motivated me. It helped me. Helped me in sports. You know, it helped me do things. You know, this is a good thing. So I had to what, you know, and, and then so what you realize, self-awareness is it's not a good thing. It's not helping you. It's not doing those things. But self-awareness is the road to self-control. And so I learned not only, okay, that's great, but I needed to control it. And so 
I had to change my thinking on some things about criticism and my view of failure and, and just my view of anger and some other things. And then I had to learn to make some new choices, which God helps you with, and we're going to talk about that today. And so God helped me, and I began to make changes, and I learned that sort of this one trick, and it's kind of a goofy trick, but it works for me. You probably don't need it, but when I want to change something like that, I wear a rubber band, and when I start to get angry, I, I snap myself. It just stops me. I know, I know it's kind of Pavlovian, but it just works. And so... Because I needed to do it. And so I'd, you know, I'd start to feel that angst and I'd do it. Or if I started to put hurry up stress on people around me, you know, I'd snap it and go, you know, slow down. You don't need to do that. Or if I started to drive people with anger, you know, I'd kind of snap. And it was helpful because it would help me remind them, wait, I don't want to do that. I want to make different choices. It was a way to just stop certain behavior. So anyway, I, so Lori's looking at me in the garage. And so she says, huh. You know, your anger's back, so you got to deal with it. So I was thinking about it, and so I journaled, and I started thinking about, so why am I so angry? You know, I'm, I'm moving around the garage, and I'm picking up these boxes. You probably can figure it out, but these boxes are heavier than I remember them to be. And as I'm trying to pick them up, it's like harder, and I'm moving slower, and I'm banging my head, and I'm so frustrated. And what I'm really angry about is that I'm old. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate the insight and the counseling <laughs> little therapy session we're having right here. But exactly, I'm just angry because I'm getting older, and as I'm getting older, I'm moving slower, things are harder, I'm not 40 anymore, I'm 65, I can't, I'm not as strong as I used to be, and I'm smashing into things. Calm down here. And so you go, so, so I have to go back and, you know, just kind of peel back. And, and the problem isn't that I was just angry there. The truth is, as I began to analyze it, my anger, which I had picked up, had begun to seep into other areas of my life. And I was starting, it's starting to take control of me. And so I needed to deal with it. So today, what I want to ask you is this question. What have you taken a hold of that's now got a hold of you? Or what have you picked up that you can't put down? Or what have you picked up or taken a hold of that's making a monkey out of you? And the reason why I want to ask it that way is because, you know, how do you catch a monkey? You can go online, you can look this up. Uh, Josh Deferin's got a, a great article on this online. And you can, not right now, don't look now, but you can go on this, this will <laughs> pop right up. But, what you learn is this, you know, monkeys, you go to a zoo and they're fascinating, you know, interesting creatures. And so I always thought that they were wonderful until I went to Africa, to Uganda, and you find out that monkeys are an extreme problem and they are a pest. And so we were in Uganda and we were staying at this place and they said, you know, it's got signs everywhere, don't feed the monkeys. And you're at the table and anytime somebody get up, a bunch of monkeys would go and, you know, get food and they'd try to chase them off. And they go, don't feed them, don't feed them. And so we had a group of people on a mission trip working with our partner there, Pastor Peter, training pastors. And so we took about, in fact, there's 40 people from our church right now, right there, right now. And they're doing it. And so, but so they're there and they say, don't feed them. And so I, I don't want to embarrass anybody that was on the trip a few years ago, but Eric Hurd, who's a pastor on our staff, <laughs> fed some monkeys and literally like 50 of them start chasing him and he's running, throwing food as he's running away. They, they are a problem. And so what you can do, you can look online. Do you know how to catch a monkey? This is how you catch a monkey. What you do 
is you get a trap, something like this, you can get a gourd or a coconut, you can just carve it out, you create a hole that's just big enough for the monkey to put his hand in, and you put in something that is sweet, uh, they love candy, something that's sparkly, shiny, something that a monkey craves. Of course, it's chained to something, and so what happens is the monkey looks at it, sees it, puts his hand into it, grabs the candy, okay, and then when he's got a fist, he can't get his fist out, which causes the monkey to panic. It screams, it tries to run away, but it's chained to it, and it can't get away, and it traps itself because it refuses to let go. Now, it works for most monkeys. Some monkeys, it doesn't work because they have the common sense to let go. But for most of them, it doesn't. Now, I know only a monkey would be so foolish to take a hold of something and to refuse to let it go and trap itself. Only a monkey. <laughs> so my question to you is, what have you taken a hold of that now has a hold of you? and has trapped you. Or said again, what have you taken a hold of that people in your life wish so much that you would just let go? Or another way, what is weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? You thought it was going to make your life better. You thought it would just be a little fun fix or a thrill, you thought it was just a little bit of anger, hurt, resentment, or bitterness, and now it's got a hold of you, and everywhere you go, you are stuck. You can't carry it around. What are you dragging around that's slowing you down because you just can't put it down? What are you holding on to that you are just compelled to lie about? You just would never want him or her or them to ever find out. And if your kids knew, you would be so embarrassed. And if the people that you work with ever found out, you would be absolutely humiliated. What have you taken a hold of that's making a monkey out of you. And the lesson's really pretty simple. What do you have to do? Let it go and run away. Just say it with me. There's a lesson for today. Let it go and one more time just to make sure you're paying attention. Let it go and run away. And you go, you know, just look at the cost. Look at the cost financially. Look at the cost relationally. Look at the cost emotionally, physically. Let it go. And do you know what the truth is? Everyone knows. It's not like you can stand there, take a hold of this, grab a hold, and people are looking at you, and they don't see it. <laughs> and they ask you about it, and you are just so defensive. No, no, what? Uh-uh, <laughs> nuh-uh. And you're so defensive, you think they've forgotten about it. They haven't forgot about it. They just know 
you don't want to talk about it. You're just not willing to let it go. And so you're trapped. And, you know, just got to let it go. And if it was easy, it wouldn't be so quiet in this room. But the truth is that it's really hard. Now, here's the good news, and this is why I love that you're in church today. Because, and it's really why you want to be a follower of Jesus and why I love Jesus. When we do this and we get stuck, the good news is we're not alone. And Jesus is there to help us think differently. And then to give us a new motivation so that we're willing to let it go. So we understand what we're doing. And not only that, he gives us the power to let it go. Which is the greatest thing about Jesus. It's why I love being a Jesus follower. And for those of you that are not Jesus followers, really, I mean, I just... All I got to say to you is this, all, you know, just let it go and run away and you're on your own. And so try to find some self-control, try to power up, but you know, you got nothing else but you, so I hope you can do it. And the sadness of that is most of you can't, most people can't. And so you're going to live as a fool. But the reason why I love that you're here is because you're going to see this is a reason that you should want to follow Jesus because he can give you the help to let it go and run away. So we're going to look at what he does. Okay, and three things. He's going to change, help us change our mind, give us a new motivation, and give us new power. So first of all, we're going to see how Jesus help, helps us change our mind. And what's important about this is this. Changing your mind is very hard and very painful. The truth of it is, most of us would rather die than change our mind. We have ideas and beliefs, and you know we think they're going to save us, but they are taking us under and taking us out. Because it's very hard to change your mind. Because it isn't just our beliefs, it becomes components of our identity. What we believe tends to be who we are. But the truth of it is, changing your mind is key to success in life. You know this, because your whole life, you're wrong about stuff. I'm wrong about stuff. You're mostly wrong about things, right? So when I was young, you know, I believed that happiness was a destiny. And then I learned that's not true. It's a choice. I, I, uh, I, when I was young, I believed that anger was a good motivator and it would help me. And I learned that's not true. When I was young, I believed that love was something that just happened to you as opposed to something that you work for. When I was young, I believed that failure was destructive as opposed to now understanding that failure is the road to success. When I was young, I thought that justice and right and good always won. And then I learned. And so the truth is, and just like me, mostly we're wrong about stuff and we have to learn to change our mind about ourselves, about our culture, about our society, about our world, about God. And the good news is, is that God loves us so much. He gives us his word, the Bible, so that we can learn to change our mind. And it isn't that we go from wrong to right. We just go from wrong to less wrong. <laughs> to less wrong. To less wrong. And it isn't that I don't doubt that I'm, or that I'm not certain that God's word is true. I am certain that God's word is true. I'm very uncertain about my ability to understand it. But as I understand it, I'm less wrong. And then I'm less wrong. And I'm less wrong because growth and success in life is based upon your ability to. Are you kidding me? I've just gone that far and you can't get it. Change your mind. Change my mind. That's all I was looking for, right? Big build up. There's like three minutes of just getting, woo! 
changed my mind. There's the answer. Can you say that answer? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Here it is, all right? So your spiritual growth, your growth in life, and your success in life depends on your ability to? Change your mind. Exactly. So let's change our mind. Let's go to God's word and let's change our thinking, change our mind about things because that's what God's word is for. And so Paul writes in the book of Romans to a group of people and he writes about this dynamic, about how we trap ourselves. And he's going to use a concept titled slavery. And we don't like the idea of slavery, but what is this if not slavery? When I take a hold of something, then it's got a hold of me and I can't get away and I'm trapped. Slavery, right? What would you call it if not slavery? So he's going to use that term why you don't like it. That's the concept. So in Romans 6, he says, we are no longer slaves to sin. Okay, yeah, the excitement will build as you understand this, all right? Uh, no longer slaves to sin. Why? He goes, well, before, sin was your master. I mean, you had no choice. You had put your hand in. All of us did. We ran away from God. And that's why we were, we were stuck. We were selfish. We were bitter. We were anger. We had hurtful lifestyles. But when you believed in Jesus, you were placed into Jesus. And here's what happened. When Jesus died, in Romans 6.10 it says, he died once to break the power of sin. So Jesus, when he died, he broke the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And in this passage, the context is he says, you've been placed into. So when Jesus died, you were baptized as the word or placed into, into his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. You go, but I wasn't there. He goes, I understand you weren't there. But when you believe in Jesus, God places you into it, that you put were into it. So when Jesus died and the penalty, the authority of sin was, was crushed, so now sin has no more authority over you. It is not your master. So when people are baptized out in the lake, what it is, it's a picture of this theological concept. They go into the water, they get, they get buried underneath the water, and then they come out and this idea of resurrection. So when Jesus died, you died. When he was buried, your old self, sinful self died that was mastered by sin. And then when you come out of the water, you now live with this new power. So you are no longer slaves to sin. But yes, you, you know, you're not perfect. And so yes, sometimes you will make bad choices. And yes, sometimes you will say yes to sin. And yes, sometimes you'll get angry and swear. And yes, sometimes you'll be tempted, but you are no longer a slave to sin. So look at what he says in 6.11. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourself, act like it's true. You can you know, make different choices now to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. You can make new choices. And then I love, this is what he says. So... Read it with me. Sin is no longer your master. Make it personal. Say my. Sin is no longer my master. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So change your thinking. Do you believe that? Do you believe that sin is no longer your master? Okay, so when you say, I had no choice, I can't do that. If you're not a believer in Jesus, that's probably true. But once you become a believer in Jesus, it's like, it's, you have a choice. Sin is is no longer your master. You don't have to serve it. You can say, it's not my master. You have to change your thinking about that.
Do you believe that? Okay, then secondly, he says, it's your choice. Your choices matter. So he says, don't you realize? Maybe you didn't know this. Maybe some of you do know this, but here, do you know this? Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? So when you put your hand in there and you take a hold of this and you now refuse to let it go, you become a slave to the thing that you choose to obey. You thought, oh, it's just a pastime. Oh, hey, it's just a little bit of entertainment. Oh, it's just a little bit of anger. You thought it was just a simple thing, but now you're stuck because you won't let it go and it's not going to let go of you. So you become a slave of what you choose to obey, he's saying in here. So whatever you say yes to, you are a slave of. And so he goes on and he says, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to, come on, say it. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to, don't ever lose that thought. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to, so there's your choice. Now what's sin? You know what sin is? Sin is anything that hurts you or hurts the people that you love. I mean, it's a simple definition of sin. And you understand that because God loves You, God loves all of us. And think of it this way. When someone hurts someone you love, you consider that wrong. And God's the same way. When you do something that hurts you or hurts someone that, you know, you that God loves or others, God says that's wrong. That's a sin. God doesn't want you to hurt yourself or others. Because why? Why doesn't God want you to choose sin? Because sin kills. Sin brings death. And you can see it. The very first sin when we rebelled against God, we died spiritually. We lost our relationship with God. It killed our relationship with God, killed our relationship with each other and even ourselves. And you can see it every day in life. When there is sin, it kills. When someone breaks a vow in marriage, it kills the marriage. When someone sins in a family it destroys and hurts that family when someone sins hurts people in their career it kills a career when you sin in your finances you get addicted you take a hold of something man it it kills your finances it kills you when you sin your view of yourself you look at the mirror there's guilt and shame it destroys your health and it kills your peace it kills your peace with god kills your peace with others because you're hiding and pretending, kills your sense of peace with yourself. Why does God hate sin? Because it hurts you and he loves you. That's why he hates sin, because it hurts you. And so he says you shouldn't sin. But obedience is righteous living or obedience makes things right. So sin brings death, obedience it makes things right. So when you choose to do what's right because you're no longer a slave to sin, even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, but you make the courageous choice to do something right, you make things right. It ends up in righteous living. So sin destroys your soul. Obedience makes things right. And that's what he's saying in this. So he says, thank God. Thank God. Woo! Thank God. Once... You were slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we have given you. See, when you change your thinking, 
it leads to a change in action. Once, oh, I was an idiot. But now once I learned it, I'm not a slave to sin. My choices matter. So I'm going to choose to obey God. I'm not going to be a slave to sin. I make a different choice. That's when you really believe something, you make different choices. That's what he's saying in here. It's new. And then the third thing he says, so that we honor God. And I love this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you realize that? Did you know that? So when the people read that, you go, what's a temple? Temple in the first century were the greatest buildings of architecture, expressions of architecture in the world. They were the most spectacular. These people had seen the Acropolis, the Parthenon in Rome, the Temple of Diana in Ephesus, the Temple in Jerusalem. Temples were awesome. And so the people listening, they go, I know what a temple is. I know what my body is. How can my body be a temple? How does that work? Because... A temple is a place that is holy and sacred, and it is a place that heaven meets earth. That's where a temple is. And he says, now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He goes, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Spirit? How can that happen? Don't you? He goes, because the Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. Because the Spirit lives in you. That's why you, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you go, no way, no way. My body can't be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Knowing what I've taken a hold of, what I've grabbed onto, what I now, what has a hold of me, there's no way that that can be true. But you know what is radically true? You, it is not based on your behavior. It, it isn't because you behave right. It is because the Holy God when you believed in Jesus, gave you this gift, and the gift is the Holy Spirit. So now your body is a temple where heaven meets earth because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are more sacred than any temple or holy place you've ever been in in the world. You are more holy and sacred than any building you've ever been in because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you know what's crazy? All these people around you, they are as holy and sacred as you are too. Because they have the Holy Spirit living in you. Which means, if you believe that, that would radically change the way you treated these people. And you know what? This idea took hold in the first century church. And they treated each other differently because... Everyone saw my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to treat you. I'm going to treat you as a sacred and a holy thing because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And it was so different. It radically changed the church, and it so changed the influence. It changed cities, and it changed countries. It changed the world, and it would change the world today too if we really believed it. So he says, "Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit." So he goes on. You do not belong to yourself. He goes, and he says this. And, you know, as soon as you hear that, you go, wow, you don't belong to yourself. You were bought with a high price. That sounds like slavery. And as radical as it is, you need to understand the people in the first century had a way more vivid view of slavery than we do. Because the people he was writing to, many of them had been sold on a slavery auction block or in the slave market. 
Many of them had bought slaves and all of them had seen in the downtown area the slave market. They knew what it meant to be bought and sold. And so he's saying, you do not belong to yourself because you were bought with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. And so you need to understand, even though you sold yourself, we sold ourselves cheap to sin. And we didn't value ourselves. God valued you. And he valued so much, he paid a high price for you. So just economics, simple economics. How value, what makes something valuable? Because nothing really has value. What makes it valuable? The price you're willing to pay. You know, so a diamond is just a rock in Africa. But it has value because we just agree it does. And so now it has, you know, it's what people will pay for it, right? If something is in a store and it won't sell at that price, what do they do to it? They discount it until finally it reaches a price that somebody will pay something for it. What are you worth? Well, we sold ourselves cheap. We were just willing to be selfish and we didn't care. We sold ourselves cheap to sin, but God valued you and he paid a price for you and this is how valuable you are. God came to this earth in the person of Jesus and he gave his life to buy you out of sin. You go, I didn't know that. <laughs> now you do. And now you know how valuable you are. God paid the highest price. Yeah, he paid. He paid the highest price for you. He gave his life. You are infinitely valuable and not just you, every you next to you is infinitely valuable. That's how valuable that you are. So he paid a high price. And so he says, now you don't belong to you. God says, I bought you. You belong to me. So now honor me with your body. So you got it? You think differently now? He says, first, you're free. Sin is no longer your master. You can make different choices and you're responsible. If you choose, it's going to end up in death. It's going to hurt you and hurt others. Or you can follow me. And so now honor me with your body. You got it? And if you really begin to think that way, it will change everything. It'll change your relationships. It'll change your view of, of forgiveness. It'll change your relationships with your family. How you live your life, it changes everything. Not only that, not only does Jesus help us change our thinking. So you think in a new way. I know it's hard to change your mind. You're going, whoa, but you know, I just don't do it. I'm not there. You got to change the way you think. I know it's hard. But secondly, he gives us a new motivation. And what's the new motivation that he gives us? Not guilt, not shame, not try harder, but it is love. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not when we got it together, not when we apologized, not when we wanted his love, when we were angry rebels running from God. God showed up in this world as a person of Jesus and he died for us. He loved us when we were still sinners. And so now he says, I want you to love the way that I loved you. I want you to express love the same way that I express it to you. First John 4 says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God because God is love. God loves you. You don't need to sin. You don't need to run there. You're not going to find it there. The one place that you're going to find the love that you want so much for your life, for your heart, 
is with God. Run to God. And then express that love to others. And then Philippians 2.13. For God is working in you first, giving you the desire. But I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to hold on to those things. No, he's going to give you a new desire. Trust it. Give you the desires, the right desires. And not only give you the right desires, but he's going to give you the power to do what pleases him. So you've got to depend on God's strength. This isn't about you changing you. God gives you, he says, here, I'm going to give you a new way of thinking. I'm going to motivate you with my love. And now I'm going to give you the power to be a new person. So what are you holding on to that has now a hold on you that you just can't let go that is destroying your life? Some of you, it's anger. You, you think it's just a little bit of anger, but that anger is growing. And the truth is, you took a hold of it. You thought, oh, it'll help you. It'll motivate you. And now it's got a hold of you. And you can't let go of it. For some of you, it's a habit. You know, it started, you thought, oh, it'd be just something fun. You know, a little bit of just a feel-good hit, a little thing. And now it absolutely dominates your life and you are enslaved by it and you try to run from it, but you can't because you refuse to let go of that habit. For some of you, it's a somebody. There's a person in your life. And they're taking you down and you've taken a hold of them and everybody who loves you says, that person is not good for you or it's a group of somebodies. And they're going, they're not good for you. And every time your parents or the people who love you say they're not good for you, you go, they're just judgmental. They're not judgmental. They're showing good judgment. That person's not good for you. And you know what's ironic? You know what everybody's saying to that other person? that you're not good for? You know what all their friends are telling them? You're no good for them. Because you're just not good for each other. But you've just taken a hold of it and it's taking you down and everybody knows it. Or for some of you, it's just some form of entertainment that you've taken a hold of and you thought, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just entertainment. But it has now wrapped its tentacles around you and you are so lost in it that it is destroying every, it's just destroying your life because sin always kills. For the others of you, some substance, alcohol, you drank a little, it was not a bit, but now, oh, it's got you and you can't not drink and you know and you think nobody knows and you're hiding and you'd be so embarrassed, but the truth is you're stuck and you can't let go. For some of you, it's just something that you own. You just needed that fast little car and you thought it'd be so fun and now nobody wants to ride it in with you because you're a pain in that car. <laughs> and it's your little thing and you just love it and you know what, because you got a hold of it, now it's got a hold of you or some other possession and you just, because you just can't let it go. For some of you, it's money. You know, there can be good things that you hold on too. It could be a job. You got your career and you know, you work, but you don't just work. You work because it gives you your identity and you work because you just have to work and you can't let it go. You just can't walk away. And now it controls you or money, like I said, where you don't just work for money, money owns you. And so it's got a hold of you or it's people's opinions of you. And so you're enslaved by people's opinions until you've taken a hold of them and you can't help but just taking, you know, what do they think of me? What do they think of me? And now you're enslaved by it. And some of you, you know, you exercise and it's great, but exercise has become a compulsion and you're going crazy. 
you're going crazy. Remember when I was running a lot, there was a group of friends, and so we were, we were running a lot, and we were running fast, and we thought, we should do a marathon. And I came home, and I go, hey, I'm thinking of doing a marathon. And Laurie said, no, you're not. We have four kids, and you, want, you get 45 minutes, do whatever you want, and you get yourself back here. And I know some of you, you're so tired and you're going, I can't. I just can't. And you know what? That's why you're here, because you know what? You can't. But the good news is with Jesus' help, you can let go of this and extract yourself and run away. And here's how you do it. This is your part, and then watch God's part. Because God changes a heart. We don't change ourselves. So the first thing is, is that you just have to admit it. That's not too hard, right? You know, that's not, can't you all admit what's got a hold of you? Wow, that's sad. <laughs> if you can't be self-aware, you're never going to be. Our part is we have to admit. We're not changing ourselves. We're just admitting the truth. Look at Paul, what he said. My grace, God says, my grace is all you need. God says, my power works best in weakness. And if that's true, look at what Paul says. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness. That's not bragging on it. It's saying, I'm going to admit if God's power works best in weakness, I'm going to tell God, I'm going to admit where I'm weak because he goes, so that the power of Christ can work, uh, work through me for where I am weak, then I am strong. We think where I'm weak, I'm lame, lame. But he's saying where I'm weak, God is strong. So if I'm willing to admit the areas where I'm weak, I can't believe it. I put my hand in there. I took a hold of it. I can't let go. When you can just, did I die because I admitted that I was angry? I didn't die. And I got to have this stupid rubber band and snap myself and just got, you know what? I didn't die and you wouldn't either. Can you admit to God where you need his help? Because then you are strong. Can you admit Come on, yes or no. I'll help you. If you're not clear, just do this. Go to your spouse today and say, is there some place in my life I've taken a hold of something that now has a hold of me? They'll let you know and they'll celebrate it. They'll go, thank you, finally, I get to tell you. That's right, trust me. Then, so first of all, we have to admit. That's right. And then secondly, we just ask for help. God, I need your help. Because Philippians 4.13 says, for I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. We just ask his help. I can't. I can't change me. God doesn't expect you to change you. It's not, a, you know, he doesn't say bolt it down, try harder, get out there, pull your hand out, cut it off if you can't and die trying. That's not what he says. He says, look at, I can help you with this. Just admit that you have a problem. And then ask for help and God will give you the help. He'll give you the strength that you need. He'll give you the ability. He will change your desires and he will change your abilities. He will give you the super. God changes us. It's not what we do, but we play a part and that part is important. So we admit it. And then we come to Jesus and we say, I need help. And it's got to be daily. And so I'll tell you what works for me. And it is this simple. And I know, and it's not, why well, it's not, I don't want to make it simplistic. It is profound. Because we don't have to change ourselves. It is beautiful how Jesus comes to us. So you got you to be self-aware and you say, God, I, I need your help. 
I do it, and when you start to move at it, you need something that helps you stop and go, whoa, whoa, not there, not there, not there. That hurt. And then, <laughs> and then what I do is, and I do this literally 100 times a day right now as I'm trying to beat this anger. I go, I just say, I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. And it's like breathing. Say it with me. I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. Do it again. I need you, Lord. Lord, I need you. In fact, it isn't enough for me just to say it. I have to sing it because you know when you sing something, it's more integrated. I don't know why it is, but it goes deeper into your, well, into your heart and soul. And so when I see that and it starts to kip up, I just, I sing and I go, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. Oh, Lord, how I need you. It's not right where the song goes, but it's the way I sing it. But I do it. He keeps trying to get it. But, you know, I do it. And I do it a hundred times a day. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness. What have you taken a hold of that's making a monkey out of you? Don't you want to, with Christ's help, let it go this summer? You're not alone. You are not by yourself. We're going to sing this song. Make it your prayer. Surrender to the Lord. Admit to him. This is the way to freedom. Let's stand together and sing. Lord, I come. Oh, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart You're the one That guides my heart Lord, I need you Oh, I need you Every hour I need you My one defense my righteousness oh God how I need we're sin we're sin runs deep your grace is born where grace is found
something, when we take a hold of something, and then it takes a hold of us, it's hard to break loose. God gives us his people. Lots of you are in life groups. That's a great place to get the help. We have Monday night solutions that, that is a great place that you can come if you've got something that's wrapped itself around you because you've taken a hold of it. You might need that help. You can check online. If you need today maybe to pray with someone, over by these lights. There's some people who would love to pray over you. Even if you don't know what you need prayer, you just feel like you need it, they'll pray over you. If you need prayer for healing, spiritually, physically, emotionally, elders meet outside these doors to the right. Hold out your hands and receive God's blessing. Father, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them and keep them, hold them fast in your love? Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance? Would you turn your attention towards them when they cry out? And would you rescue and deliver? And God, would you give them your peace? We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. Have a great day.